morning. <clears throat> About a week ago, a little over a week ago, when I saw the church bulletin show up in WhatsApp, I, I kind of said, oh no, because I, I looked at Milo's sermon subject and the one that I was already working on, it looked like it was going to overlap quite a bit. But uh, instead of changing course and with Milo's encouragement, I decided maybe it'd be okay to have back-to-back messages on a similar subject. So today's message is copying Christ's love for the church, which is an ambitious title. Maybe it should be something like imitating or approximating or something else, but we'll just leave it the way it is. This message is going to have two basic parts to it. First, we're going to review uh, the new commandment Jesus gave his disciples in John chapter 13. Everybody knows that husbands should love their wives as Christ loved the church, and at least I hope all of us husbands know that and are challenged by it and are impacted by that and affects our relationship in a good way. But maybe we don't remember so well that Christians are supposed to love the church as Christ loved the church. That's an obligation we ought to be, that should also be impacting us and affecting our relationships and daily lives. So we're going to remind ourselves of that truth, and then we'll shift gears a bit and Look at a number of practical ways in which this is lived out, how we care for each other. Jesus' command for his followers to love each other as he loved them extends to all believers. So we have an obligation to all believers. Uh, I'm going to, my focus this morning is mainly on people in this church and each other because that's where most of the opportunities and obligations are. Um, but I just want to recognize that up front. It's not just about us. It's about all believers. So the setting, if you can turn to John chapter 13, the setting is the Last Supper, of course. This is after he washed the feet of his disciples, a passage I'm sure we'll be looking at later. They have, they are probably in the middle of the supper at this point, and Jesus is continuing to teach, as it seemed like he always did, John chapter 13, we'll start at verse 33, and read a few verses here, and then we'll go to John chapter 15. Verse 33, little children, I shall be with you a little while longer. You will seek me, and as I said to the Jews, where I'm going, you cannot come. So now I say to you, a new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this, all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Jesus has already taught his disciples about uh, loving their neighbors as themselves, uh, loving God, loving your enemies. Now as he's about to leave them, he gives them a, a new and extended version of the command to love, which is, Love each other as I have loved you. That's what makes it new, is is the as I have loved you part. And they're about ready to see what that really looks like. 
So now let's go to John chapter 15, verse 9. John 15, verse 9. As the Father loved me, I also have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, you will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments, and abide in his love. These things I have spoken to you, that my joy may remain in you, and that your joy may be full. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this, than to lay down one's life for his friends. Now, someday when I'm in heaven, I would like to sit down with some of these disciples, like Peter or John or James or whoever, and ask them this question. When Jesus was arrested and mocked and tortured and crucified, these terrible events were happening. At what point did you begin to realize this is what he's been talking about? This is actually what he was saying in the days leading up to now. When he said these strange remarks like, the Son of Man came to give his life a ransom for many. Or, when I am lifted up, I will draw all people to myself. Or, when, or at the Last Supper, when he broke the bread and said, this is my body, or this cup, this is drink, this cup, this is my blood. At some point, I don't know if it was during the event or, or shortly thereafter, but at some point they must have started connecting the dots and realized this, this is Jesus giving himself, making himself a sacrifice. And then at some later point, they must have made the connection that, you know, Jesus told us to love each other as he has loved us. The scenes from the torture and death of Jesus, uh, they were brutal. I'm sure they were unforgettable. And so these men, in a way like none of us ever will, and probably no other Christians, had this clear picture of, of what this love looked like in the ultimate degree. They had this clear and compelling picture of what Jesus was talking about. And, and it's no surprise that they themselves then put their lives on the altar for the church. Many of them died for Jesus and for the church. So here are some reflections on this command that Jesus gave to love each other. Loving as Jesus loved means a lot more than just treating people decently. It's not just being a nice person, a decent person that doesn't take advantage of people and you know treats others they want to be treated in general and being kind and fair. That's not sacrificial love, really. It's it's just that's kind of what we would hope from society in general. Jesus' love calls us to a lot more than that. It is, it is a sacrificial love. It means I'm willing to lay down my rights, my comfort, my energy, my time, my personal goals for other people. So that's, a, that's the first point I want to make. That it's, it means a lot more than just treating people decently. Loving as Jesus loved is meant to include his ultimate sacrifice. And, and we might be tempted to think that 
Jesus meant us to follow his, his example up to the point of the Last Supper, but the events that happened after that were so extreme and out of the ordinary that surely that wasn't meant to be included in the model. But that, I mean, we just saw this in John 15, 12. Love one another as I have loved you. Greater love has no one than this than to lay down one's life for his friends. And, and so as he is giving the command, he has his ultimate sacrifice in mind. He intends it to be part of the model. When John wrote his epistle, 1 John, he said in, in chapter 3, verse 16, By this we know love, because he laid down his life for us. And we also ought to lay down our lives for the brethren. That's pretty clear. Therefore, loving as Jesus loved means there really is no limit to the level of sacrifices expected from us to each other. Now, this call to imitate Jesus, it wouldn't be such a big deal if, if um, Jesus had just been kind of a helping hand kind of person, you know, help someone change a cartwheel and and uh, took, made time to take some young people fishing and, or to speak to them about God or share just lunch, things like that. You know, that's kind of the level of sacrifice I can even be inspired by. And, it's, you know, I can live with that kind of sacrifice, that example. But the torture and crucifixion, uh, there's basically no limit to to what this command extends to. It just isn't. And uh, I'm not there yet, and I hope you don't need me to die for you anytime soon because it's probably not going to happen. But this is where Jesus set the bar. And it it really challenges me to be less stingy about how I feel about serving uh, you all in the church, what I'm willing to do for my church family and other brothers and sisters outside of our church. So the trial and crucifixion, it covered, if you think about it, it covered all of the, all of the, um, all of the reasons for why we don't do things. It, you know, personal goals were abandoned. There was loneliness and humiliation and rejection and extreme pain. Pretty much all the bases were covered. Okay, so now we're going to shift gears. We're going to go from 30,000 feet to about 30 inches here pretty fast. Uh, we're going to look at six important ways in which we can care for each other in this church. I didn't pick these because we because I think we do a bad job of them. And probably all of us can grow in some of these areas. I know I can. But the point of this exercise is just to remind us that Jesus has called us to love each other as he loved us. This is super important. Um, and here's what it looks like in everyday church life. I, I talked to several other people about some of the items on this list, so some of the ideas I'm mentioning are not original with me. And I want us to keep in mind that it's okay if we can't do everything on this list. We don't have time or energy for everything, and circumstances might not allow us to do some of these things. Which brings me to the first point. Number one, have people over. I said 30 inches. 
Uh, I feel bad to say this and because I don't feel that like we're able to do a good job at this right now, um, my family, but I put it on the list anyway. I was recently surprised by the number of teachings in the New Testament about being hospitable. A lot of emphasis on that. I'll, I'll pick one here from 1 Peter chapter 4. And above all things, have fervent love for one another, for love will cover a multitude of sins. Be hospitable to one another without grumbling. Now, my emphasis isn't so much hospitality in terms of visitors, although that's important. I'm thinking more about each other, having each other into our homes. It takes work. It's not just the meal prep. It's making the house presentable, uh, getting rid of the trip hazards if you've got children, and just there's a lot of work that goes into having people over. And it can make you feel a little vulnerable. This is what our home looks like. Yes, there are crayon markings on the wall. Yes, our cupboards are kind of ugly. Uh, yes, this is how our children act at home. But what it tells people is you're important to us. Your friendship is important. The relationship between my family and yours is important. We want to be close to you. Uh, even if it means that our house isn't perfect or the food isn't really that exotic, you're important. That's one simple way that we love each other, by having each other over into our homes. And um, maybe it doesn't compare to Jesus' sacrifice, but it is a bit of a sacrifice, and it's a real blessing to our church. Here's another one. Number two, check in on people. Uh, consider doing this for little trials and for big trials. So little trials are like a sick family, which may not feel like such a small trial, actually. Uh, someone just having a rough week at work. Someone uh, traveling late. You know, just, you can check in on them. Hey, I know you're traveling late. I hope it's going okay. Um, praying that you're week at work goes better. I know it didn't start that great. You know, just these little things. Back in January, almost a year ago, January 9, Naaman sent me an encouraging note. He said, just had to let you know that today is one minute and one second longer than yesterday. We both are not fans of winter darkness, so we go through this together. Uh, so those are the little trials. But more importantly, check in on the bigger and scarier trials. I'm not saying this because I, again, because I think we're doing a bad job at that. It's, I think I'm understanding the importance of this more than before. I hope I'm growing in this area. I know that many of you are better at this than I am. But if someone is going through a really uh, hard experience or they've lost someone close to them, you probably should bring it up now and then. This is something that uh, I've been learning. You should probably bring it up, even if you're not that close to that person. You don't have to be in a deep relationship with that person for it to be right to mention it. You can just say, sorry for your loss. 
Now, here's, this is kind of a side note, that if you're not really close to that person, you probably don't want to push for details. Be careful about that. Don't try too deep. Don't, you know, demand that they just kind of pour out their deepest heart feelings to you. Because, you know, let them kind of decide whether they want to do that or not. Open, you can open the door for, let them open the door for more details if they want to. But, check in. It's really too bad that the bigger the trials are, the harder it is to know what to say. Isn't that true? It's just, what do you say? But the mistake is when that leads you to not saying anything at all. Kind of like pretending it didn't happen. So you don't have to say much. Just say, I'm thinking about you. I hope you're doing okay. Because I know this is not something that just goes away in two months. Galatians chapter 6 says, Bear one another burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. Which it's, I'm taking a little bit out of context because it's talking about trespasses and sins. But I think what he's saying applies to other struggles in life. In Hebrews 13.3, the author says, Remember the prisoners as if chained with them. That's a good verse to model in our church, the people going through tough times. We show love by checking in even when it's scary to do so. <clears throat> and again, my, my emphasis is within this congregation, but this applies to people outside of our church. Reach out to them when they're going through tough times. But Examples would, be, would include Jeff and Crystal, or the accident that Merle's Mary had recently. Just, how's it going? Or I'm thinking of you. I'm praying for you. Check in on people. Second way, we show Jesus love. Third way is to be generous with appreciation and thanks. Does it ever occur to you that um, you just suddenly recognize so-and-so did a really nice job of cleaning the gym or the church or whatever, or teaching the men's class, or making the church's calendar. You know, it's so easy to let these thoughts, you know, they enter your mind and then they just kind of drift off into the ether and nothing happens. But I really encourage you to tell that person you appreciate them, what they did to their faith, if you're with them, send them a text message. If you're not, doesn't have to be complicated or flowery. You don't have to send flowers. Just say you appreciate what they did. A random strike of encouragement can turn out to be not so random after all. And really help somebody who is at a challenging point. If the Holy Spirit is among us, that kind of thing shouldn't be that surprising. Say thanks for big and little things. Have you thanked the preschool or Sunday school teacher lately? While we're on uh, appreciation, here's a good opportunity. Don't miss this one. This is a free one you get for every person in your church once a year, which is saying happy birthday. Say happy birthday. I'm glad you're part of our church family. You can... Write that down so you know what to say. When I turned 40, I got a, a just, you know, a bunch of happy birthdays and I found out pretty fast that 
Napoleon has sent out an email encouraging people. But it still meant a lot, and it was really neat. It was probably about the, my favorite part of turning 40. And now I can't wait to turn 50. But words of appreciation and, and thanks um, show people they belong and they're valuable. And it's how we love each other, like Jesus loved us. Number four, uh, make time for individual interactions. Over the years, I've been blessed with having breakfast with quite a number of you men. Uh, depending where we go, the food isn't that great. Seems like it often isn't, but that's not really the important point. It's it's the conversation that is special, and and those interactions they make me want to be more faithful. I don't I don't know if I can even explain that, but they do, and they also make me feel like I belong, and I have people I I can trust. And so I hope all of you men are doing something like that. It doesn't have to be breakfast. It could be some other interaction. And you ladies, too. You know, I've heard you're better at this than we are. I'm not even talking about accountability groups. I'm, just, I'm talking about just outside of church, small group interactions, chatting about everyday life and struggle. A lot of people have made time for me over the years. And we have, and that's, that's quite the commodity time. It's, it's hard to get enough time for so many things. It's, um, so many things are demanding, but we can carve out some time for each other too. Many of us at some point, this is going to happen to a lot of us. Someday we're going to reach a point in our lives when we are going to recognize that things are winding down for us. And we don't just have many years in front of us yet, and or maybe months. What's going to crystallize, I think, at that point is that people and relationships, and of course the relationship with God, is what is most important. And hopefully we'll be able to look back on, on these years and see that God was able to use us to bless a lot of people. Make time for individual interactions. Number five. The, ne the next two have to do with communication. Listen and acknowledge. So I'm talking about when other people share ideas or concerns. Listen and acknowledge. This is an act of love. It can require some patience. It involves honor, too. Romans 12.10, this is the ESV, says, Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. And how we treat each other's ideas and concerns are a major way in which we can show love and appreciation, or not. When, when people share a concern or an idea, listen and acknowledge before telling them why their idea is a bad one or, or why their concern is really overblown. Because church should be a safe place for sharing ideas and concerns. For example... If I would say, you know, if we build a new sanctuary, we ought to turn the old sanctuary into a coffee shop. Now, there are probably 20 reasons why that's not a great idea. But a good starting place would be 
Uh, Galen, could you just kind of explain some more why you think that would be a good idea? I'd like to hear more. What, what's on your mind? Well, I could say I think it's, it's a nice way to reach out to the community. Um, and then you could say, well, I like the idea of reaching out to the community. I can understand that. That's, you know, that's something we, we could grow in. But then you could go into maybe a few of those 20 reasons as to why you think it maybe isn't the best idea. The truth is, usually, we're not so crazy that we come up with ideas or concerns that are just totally without any legitimate basis. Usually, there's something behind them. But when you're on the other side of an, of an argument, it's easy to make that counterpoint without recognizing that the other person actually has a brain. And that can make the other person feel put down. So if you're in a discussion, in an individual with an individual or in a group discussion, and someone makes a point you don't agree with, just be careful about dismissing it and making the counterpoint, because it, it, can, it can leave people feeling put down. I know I've done this, so please forgive me if you can remember any specific incidents where I've done this. But I've also had it happen to me, so I know what it, what it feels like for them. Listen and acknowledge. Did you understand what they're saying? Try to take time to understand. If you understand what they're saying or kind of see the basis where they're coming from, you should say that I can see what you're saying. I can kind of see where you're coming from. That's a, that's a good thing to say. It can help a disagreement from getting, keep a disagreement from getting too painful. This kind of love helps us work through issues and still appreciate each other. Number six. Speak carefully about others behind their back. Uh, whether you're talking about their ideas or their shortcomings, no one ought to be put down by you because you disagree with them. In my, I'll give you an example. In my immediate family, if I would disagree with Ivan or Norman or someone else and, and make some kind of off-the-wall comment, um, I'm not afraid that they're going to get together and say, did you hear what Galen said? That was ridiculous. What was he thinking? I mean, now maybe they're thinking that in their heads, but I'm not afraid they're going to say that to each other and run me down. That's how our church family should operate. Um, and as, as far as shortcomings go, We've all got them, and the more we interact, the more we see them, and they can range from irritating to concerning. And it can be very tempting uh, when we're angry to vent to somebody else. And, and here I'm not talking about acknowledging that someone is weak in a certain area, or, or even sharing some concerns like, this person seems to be struggling, how can we help him? I'm talking about the kind of venting where you're just you're beating up on somebody at the worst, or, or deep down the intention is to smudge their character a bit. And if we're honest with ourselves, sometimes that's what we want to do. Sometimes we don't feel very loving, and we kind of do want to go hit on, beat on somebody for a while. But um, love is choosing not 
to launch that attack. Love for Jesus, love for our brothers and sisters. Romans 13.10 says, Love does no harm to a neighbor. In Milo's message, he talked about the bowels of mercy we're to put on. And they definitely need to be driving how we talk about each other. It would be wonderful. Maybe this is idealistic. Probably is. But it would be wonderful if everybody in our church, each person in our church, could feel that all those other people in my church have my back. And they're not going to... I can say something, and even if they don't disagree, or even if they see this shortcoming of mine, they're not going to rip me up about it. Love is being careful how we talk about each other. And we talk about them like dear brothers and sisters when we disagree and when we see shortcomings. Okay, so those are my six major ways in which we love each other is Jesus' love. Uh, there are many other things that can be listed. I'm, I'm going to just give you a few rapid fire without spending any time on them. Love is making a meal for a family in need. Love is showing up for church and other times of fellowship. Love is showing up for church projects because working together is the most important work. Love is staying after church for fellowship if you can. Love is doing individual acts of service. I've had many people come to my house and help me over the years. Love is being an available person and not earning the reputation of of unavailability where people kind of cringe about asking you to do anything because they probably say no. Love is avoiding cliques in the church and watching out for cliques that can happen in our children and young people. It's painful for children and grown-ups. Love is being okay with being wrong or someone else's idea being better. Love is letting go of minor grievances because it covers a multitude of sins. Love is praying for each other. It also fasts. Love is not saying that joke that it's so funny, but yes, it might seem somebody who's in our group of listeners. So even though it's just so funny, I'm not going to say it. Love is living lives of personal integrity and holiness. That's how we love each other and love Jesus, of course. So we're celebrating communion this morning, and and what Jesus did on the cross was the ultimate act of love and left us forever in debt to him, and as a result, to each other. These things are so intertwined, love for Jesus and love for his people. Like, you can't sing, um, what's the song say, I want to love you more without wanting to love his people more. Owe no man anything except to love one another. It means we have an ongoing debt of love to each other. It's a debt that will always be outstanding. We should always be paying it. And it's there because of what Jesus did for us. So this all goes back to his work on the cross, and uh, which I am so thankful for this morning. God bless you.